head. I'm like, he's, you know, he's crazy. He's, he's mainlining red wine or something. But even operations that we thought worked, such as certain rotator cuff repairs, they're not any better than placebo. Hey, Howard, how's it going? Hi, Paul. It's going really well. As I was telling you earlier, I, I was out cycling, and I it's one of these weird things that happen where you get pissed off at the beginning of a ride or a run, and you're like, you know what? I feel like crap. And so what I do, and this is Paul thing, but I'll, I'll defer to you, <laughs> is I go twice as fast as I plan to go because I'm 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 punishing my legs for having the, the the temerity to act like they're tired after weeks of riding. And so we set a bunch of personal records, but largely in a fit of peak, as they say. So, <laughs> which is well, that that is unique to our bubble. As you know, I'm relegated to a Peloton. I have a yeah. heel stress fracture. I know. And I get on the bike and I tell myself, go slow. Your legs are hurting. And the woman starts yelling at me on the screen and I go faster <laughs> than ever. There's a great line from a former Tour de France cyclist. And I probably have used this before, but what do I care? I'm, I'm old. I can use the same line more than once. It's from Jens Voigt, who was a... In the late 90s, he rode on, uh, I think, Armstrong's postal team as well as some others. And he used to talk about how he'd be late in the Tour de France, maybe stage 17 or 18, and be riding up, doing tempo for the Peloton, speaking of Peloton. And he would lean down and people would ask him. It would look like he was talking. And they would say, what, what were you doing, Jens? He'd say, I talk to my legs. I say to them really loudly, shut up, legs. <laughs> <laughs> so a lesson to all of us. I, Sometimes it's just worthwhile just saying, shut up legs and continue. <laughs> so it would be fun to talk about medical reversals, about things we're, we're unlearning. And to some degree, we're, un, we're discovering we're unlearning some things because of this virus, but we can come back to that. But I thought a good place to start, and you and I were talking about this earlier, is maybe we're unlearning some, some folk wisdom in orthopedics and other areas. And one of them is this whole idea of try something, see if, it, if something doesn't get better, how long do I need to wait? Six weeks. Six weeks is this kind of this magic number. Is there any data behind the whole six weeks thing, or is this just complete arm waving nonsense? I think it's much like our kids repeat what they hear from us. <laughs> I think I'm just repeating what I heard my attendings say in the clinic. I mean, I have to admit, I've stopped saying it because unless you're treating a fracture, nothing heals in six weeks. It's on the order of three, six, nine, twelve months. So I'm much more realistic in terms of guiding people. But hearing this six-week phrase drives me crazy sometimes. Do you think it's because – okay, so two things. One is I, I bet you're right that there are some things that heal in six weeks, and there are things that as as sports docs – we they they like to see and that's a good example is like a broken bone oh i know that I, I know the drill here i know how this how long this is going to take and so because there's a few things where there is a time frame that somehow gets extended into other domains but the problem is as as we've discussed soft tissue injuries are just voodoo right i mean there's no 6 weeks involved here i mean the only way that it resolves itself in 6 weeks is if something worse happens to you there's no doubt. And in soft tissues, we obviously have chronic issues and overuse issues and these acute traumatic issues. The acute traumatic issues are probably going to get better a lot faster than these chronic 
overuse issues, but they're not going to do so in six weeks yeah. unless you're 14. Right? <laughs> if you're 14 and you're listening to this, you're fine. If you're over 30, forget it. Yeah. You have hamstring strains and Achilles strains and ankle sprains, and they're three, four-month injuries. Yeah. Right? It can take a long time to recover. I know we've talked about this. What bothers me is people are told you'll need an operation that's, unless that's you the start here, to get right? better yeah. in four to six weeks. Yeah. And, which is a crazy thing to say. I mean, I remember years ago I ran a race, and afterwards I was my right knee was really sore, and they were trying various things and shots and what have you, which was all just ridiculous because it was clearly not internal to the knee. So why I was getting cortisone shots? Ask their retirement plan because it didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> Nevertheless, I was getting those and it wasn't working. And so finally, this one guy was just sick of me. To be fair, a very nice fellow, and he was he was had good reason to be sick of me because I was being really annoying. And he said, "Let's just see what happens here." And in, and literally those words, your words, in six weeks. If it doesn't, it hasn't resolved, we'll, we'll, we'll go in and have a look. And I was like, okay, great. Now we have an end date on this. I feel much better, which is, I think, part of the problem is patients and doctors and surgeons want an end date. They want another end to this, and it feels like it makes people feel better. But the problem was, and I'm curious what you think about this, I was maybe two days before the supposed procedure, and I called up his office and got him, got him to get on the phone, which is a miracle in itself. And I said, so... <laughs> What are we doing exactly? I hesitate to ask, but what are we doing? He said, I just thought we'd do, and this is the expression, and maybe this is some uniquely West Coast thing. He said, we're going to do a green smoke operation. And I said, what the hell is that? <laughs> he said, well, we're just going to look around and see if anything seems out of normal. And if it is, I, you know, I may buff something here or, or do something else over there. And I, I said, I see. So just find things that seem unusual and do something to them on the off chance that they're the cause of the problem. He said, yeah, more or less. The next day, I canceled the procedure. I said, this is just ridiculous. This is me getting tied to an arbitrary schedule of six weeks for no good reason. Ugh. The thought of going in and cleaning things out and just looking around sort of retired quite a while ago. There are a handful of surgeons who may still advocate that. I, I, found, I found one. <laughs> and there's evidence yeah. uh, to support that. But even operations that we thought worked, such as certain rotator cuff repairs, tennis elbow surgery, meniscus surgery, uh, even some ACL reconstructions, when you put them against a placebo, they're deemed to be not effective or not any better than placebo. Well, let's dive into a couple of those and geek out for a minute. So you, you pick which one's your favorite, but whether it's a, a cuff repair or an ACL or, you know, arthroscopy for osteoarthritis or something, I don't know, pick something that you just seem to be the prevailing wisdom and has ceased to be so. And walk me through why you think it was and what made it stop seeming like it was. The... So let's talk about Achilles tears. Okay. Let's, let's use a choice I wasn't offered. And, but with a caveat that it's not <laughs> entirely well accepted amongst orthopedic surgeons that they should be treated non-surgically. However, many, or if not most publications that have come out, and especially a few recently, have shown that non-surgical management from a functional perspective, as well as from a patient point of view perspective, do just as well as those that are operated on. And I have to tell you, there's very little skin between your Achilles tendon and the outside world. There's no muscle overlying it. There's just skin and a tiny bit of fat. I'm, I'm, I'm painfully aware of it. Yeah. 
<laughs> right. right. If you get an infection there, a hematoma, and the skin opens and you get an infection, you're getting a muscle flap, a big plastic surgery procedure. You may lose part of your Achilles tendon. It's just a nightmare. Yeah. And these people do super well if they're managed without surgery. And and the the data keeps coming out, yet... Second opinion after second opinion after second opinion that I see in the office are constantly told you need an operation. Regardless of whether they're a 30-year-old runner or a five-year-old diabetic who weighs 320 pounds, these people are being told that they need surgery. Yeah. It's it's very frustrating. So and on on the, let me just dive into that a little bit more, and maybe you were going this direction anyway. So I'll I'll just try and sound like I know what I'm talking about, which I don't. And uh, <laughs> so, what are some of the indicators for you that you might be able to get away without surgery? Is it the gap in terms of let's say there's an actual full full severing of the Achilles tendon? It's I don't know a couple of millimeter gap in there, if that's the right term of art. Is 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 it that that difference, that sort of ropiness of the Achilles, is in terms of how far apart the severed ends are an indicator of whether you can probably do this non-surgically or what are some of the things that might tell you what, what were people missing previously is i guess what i'm trying to get to yeah so well it was the mechanistic thinking uh, of, okay it's it's ripped we must fix it yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right that is deep throughout orthopedic culture mm -hmm. there, there are a few when you mri them the rupture was so violent that the torn end flips back on itself oh wow it okay. creates a gap of six centimeters or yikes though those, those are not going to heal mm -hmm. however biologically if the achilles tendon is in the same room with the other end it's going to heal it's going to heal because it's in a tube. It's in a tube of tissue we call a paratenon. That paratenon has tendon stem cells in it. It's going to regrow that gap, and it's going to do so in the vast majority, if not all, cases. Is it actual, um, is it actual in terms of the scaffold? This is the end of the free public preview of the Simplavita podcast. For the full podcast, including a transcript and show notes, you can upgrade at simplavita.com. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. We will not respond to requests for medical advice.